This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where again it's been another hectic few days of Everton news. Unfortunately, we've got another defeat to go over, uh, Everton being beaten 1-0 by Aston Villa at Goodson Park on Saturday. We've got new manager chat to talk about. We've got all the all the major shenanigans essentially around Goodson Park over the last couple of days to go over. I am your host, Adam Jones, today joined by the dynamic duo, Chris Beasley Ooh. and Gav Buckland. What a strike force that would be, by the way, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland. <laughs> Front two. Uh, director of football, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll well we'll get onto that talk a bit later on, I'm sure. But please, let's focus on on matters on the pitch for now. We'll uh, we'll talk about Saturday's game. You were sat next to me in the yeah. uh, Goodson press box. What a, just generally, what did what did you make of the performance? It was poor, wasn't it? It was flat. Um, everyone was hoping. After Rafa Benitez is sacking, bringing Duncan Ferguson in, caretaker manager, whatever you thought of Duncan's credentials on a long-term basis, and I'm one of those who has serious doubts over that, you thought it's going to be the shot in the arm. It's going to be like Chelsea again, December 2019. An opportunity of you know Everton to release themselves of the shackles of Benitez, both as a, as a person and as a manager and as a tactician and have a fresh start. Take the game to Aston Villa, you know, the, get Goodison rocking, as Bill Kenwright had said when he'd gone up to Finch Farm during the week and spoken to Duncan his staff. Um, need to put smiles back on Evertonians' faces and have a united front. We thought, well, everyone's in this together. Barnstorming afternoon, get get a much needed win to just sort of tide them over, and it just didn't happen, did it? Just didn't happen. Um, flat and once again. Ridiculous number set piece. It's so simple, and it's almost like whenever you're or any sort of player who needs a goal, any sort of team who needs to end the sequence, there he was, smallest uh, player on the pitch, uh, Buendia, uh, big money signing for Villa in the summer, and quite sort of captured that form that he showed for Norwich City, and you know up he pops header one nil, and then that was it. Just a series of hard chances and near misses, whatever second half. But that that football that Everton produced, um, it's like Duncan run out of ideas from the start. I mean, mean, you turned to me, didn't you, Gavin? You were sat behind me, say it's not working, it's not working, and uh, it was um, it was um, it was very sort of primitive sort of football. It was like a return to you know the the nineties when Dunk was first starting out with Everton, when all teams used to play like that, just launch it long, and it doesn't work anymore. That, and that, I'm afraid to say. You know, if, if Everton producing over 18 displays like that, then they are going to be in a really serious relegation battle. Um, yeah, it was, it was concerning. And for, for those who did, it just seemed quite flippant now. Those who'd said, oh, just give it to Dunk for the rest of the season. I think that's looking uh, a very sort of reckless shout. And I think even Dunk himself, you know, he said he was on the floor after that emotionally at the weekend. And, you know, it, it was a real sort of reality check for everybody concerned with Everton. Mm. Well, as Bees quite rightly says there, Gav, it was there was a lot of focus on this sort of blood and thunder approach almost from Everton, wasn't it? It seemed as if Duncan Ferguson had spent the last few days 
get, get, trying to get the emotions across over to his players. And I think, to be fair, they, they did they did come in with increased energy, increased intensity, yeah. that sort of thing. But to me, I think I noticed inside the first ten or fifteen minutes, it just seemed a bit a bit hectic and a bit haphazard. You know, it was it was all, there was almost a bit of a headless chickens feel with the way some of the players were were taken to the game and. You know, it, it it was that lack of quality that Bees quite rightly says, which eventually did for Everton, wasn't it? Well, from both teams as well. It was, yeah. it was Sunday League stuff from both teams, wasn't it, for the opening mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes? You know, with the, the sort of... I don't know whether a lot of their stuff came down the left-hand side as well, so a lot of the play was by by us, wasn't it, in, in, in the opening periods. And for long periods of time, it just appeared to be people colliding, balls getting hit in the air, Headers, collisions, as you say, all health skelter stuff. Um, what little football was played was played by Villa. Um, Wenzir and Coutinho to a lesser degree. Um, and yeah, I'm with bees. I mean, it, we had several conversations, didn't we, during the game, yeah. saying this is not it's not happening, is it? I said last week I didn't expect it to be the same as Chelsea. Um, because I think the club's moved on since then. The, I think there's only three outfielders who started the Chelsea game started on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So largely a different team. I think Duncan's moved on. Duncan's relationship with the players now is different to what it was two years ago. So and Tyro Mings saw so that was meeting zinc for two, wasn't it really? Limited mm-hmm. on the floor, but that type of stuff, you know, hoofed up the pitch is um is meeting drinks him to a degree. Um yeah, it was it was very disappointing. I don't with Chris, I, I'm trying to say this in the nicest possible way. Is that I don't think Duncan did himself any favours on Saturday from the management perspective. Is probably the best way of um, describing it. Um, it was um, it was pretty poor stuff, wasn't it? Really, um, and Villa didn't really have to do a lot to win. So, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we couldn't do another 15, 16 of them, could we, between now and the end mm. of the uh, end of the season? Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, not not a great uh, great day, was it, at Goodison? And I don't think mm. many people. So I think the people expect that anyway, perhaps mm. not given the way the teams play. Well, I mean, bees, you've you've got to make comparisons, I think, haven't you, to that Chelsea game from a couple of years ago when Dunk first took charge of the team? You know, you, you only had perhaps a day or so to prepare for yeah. for that game last time around. And I don't know about you, but when I was walking to Goodison on uh, this weekend for this Aston Villa game, you know, it did feel like there was a certain sense of, you know, excitement again that, you know, a lot of fans were sharing that they couldn't wait to get to Goodison for the first time. I felt like the atmosphere was there for much of the game. What, But, but it was different to that Chelsea game. It did have a really different sort of feel and vibe to it. What, what do you put that yeah. down to? Well, I think you're right in that um, it started like that, doesn't it? Every, yeah. Everyone was just, oh, it's a fresh start now. Let's go again. Let's have somebody who understands Everton at the helm. And everyone went into the game like that. You know, normally those early kickoffs can falter with the atmosphere. There's never going to be a chance of that on Saturday that everyone was right behind them. But then the team just didn't give them anything to sort of get behind. I mean, it was the same old story of, you know, if the decision goes against them and then that sort of, sort of galvanises them. And there were a few little things in that. I thought one of the few sort of chinks of light that you could get. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's performance, he 
it, nothing sort of came off for him. But there was a few times when you, you saw him just like to go to nick a ball or really sort of put his body on the line for something. And they were the sort of encouraging things you want to see from an Everton player, especially when times are hard and you're scrapping for everything. So I thought, you know, he is one of those ones. It's not, you know, he, he just needs to get a goal, doesn't he? Get back on the goal trail. But, you know, he was given his all, but there was far too many not doing that. And, um, yeah, it, it, it sort of fell flat because the crowd didn't have anything to respond to. Um, didn't didn't they go ahead quite early against Chelsea um, in that game a couple of years yeah, ago? Yeah, into our 10 minutes all. Yeah, Maybe so they had something to... Yeah. yeah, they were able to build up a head of steam and sort of get the crowd on from the start, but... Yeah, it, 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 it showed like it was it was t- um, the biggest displays of passion. Unfortunately, ended up being those you know horrific incident with um, the bottles being thrown and um, some of the unsavoury chants um, directed in Stephen Gerrard's um, direction as well. I mean, that's a throwback. We don't want to want to see whatever you think about Stephen Gerrard as a person, as a player, as a manager. You know, it's not putting Everton in a good light. So now it, it very quickly unravelled and. Whereas back in December 2019, you could sort of see Dunk and his team were blowing by the end, by the end of that fourth game against Arsenal. That was a real dog of a game, that stalemate. When Ancelotti and Arteta were both in the stands, the two about to be new managers. And you could say, yeah, that had taken a lot out of the players and the manager by the end of that hectic fortnight. But it's like they have run out of ideas on day one here. And it was, yeah, it was very different. And it ended up being... A, quite flat by the end, which is uh, which was very sobering. Mm. In terms of team selection, Gav, uh, were you surprised by anything? I think, you know, towards towards the end of last week, we were t- discussing yeah. this on the podcast, weren't we? And we did kind of suggest that Duncan would probably go 4-4-2, and that was the way it turned yeah. out, I suppose. But we we surprised by, you know, perhaps John Joe Kenny being in the lineup, Mason Holgate, you know, the two, the two uh, new fullbacks not even being in the squad. Yeah, uh, going from back to front, I think uh, on the day I felt that two new full-backs not even in the A-team, really. No, no. Um, but, and I thought, oh, that's a bit strange, but especially as Mikhailenko is, I'll get his name right one, one day. <laughs> We've already changed the spelling of his first name, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and... Um, but thinking about it, I sort of get that now because I think given the time Duncan had to prepare for the game, I think he wanted to go with people he knew. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd probably want to waste energy and time trying to integrate two two players fully and take up a lot of his a lot of his, you know, energy in the week, you know, in the in the days before the game. Better to go with people who played in that position and who've played it recently as well. So that made a hell of a lot of sense in some respects. So I've not got a problem with that whole gate. Well, I think, like everybody else, I think it was the fact that Keane was due, due arrest, <laughs> as mm. they say. Um, middle of the par, I thought, was, Alan, I don't think was fit, was he really? No, he didn't. He, I don't think he was fully fit. COVID recovery, because obviously... Uh, the core and Gomez is not a natural two. You don't stick Gomez in the middle two in the pitch. So he really had a few options there, did he? Uh, the one surprise was for me, which will come to is Gordon not playing from the start. Wise right, I thought that was very surprising. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why what the thinking was behind that. To be honest with you, Towns had had a quiet game. 
Mm. Gordon, when he came on, did make it a, a little bit of a difference. So, yeah, yeah, by and large, I fully got what he was trying to do formation-wise, but Gordon would be the, uh, the exception for me. I, should, I thought he should have been playing from the start. Mm. Well, I suppose we we might as well talk about Anthony Gordon Bees while we're mm-hmm. while we're on the subject. He was one of the one of the highlights, essentially, wasn't he? Coming off the bench uh, for the last you know half an hour or so of the game. I think at the end of last week's podcast, I was saying that I I I, I would maybe think about playing Townsend because of his you know sort of defensive capabilities down mm-hmm. the down the flank. But I don't think even that worked out. I think Gordon looked even stronger defensively than Townsend, didn't he? Like in you know, it's it's probably got to the point with his performances over the last certainly over the last month or so. I would say that Anthony Gordon's becoming one of the first names on the team sheet now, really, isn't he? Yeah, you would imagine that Rafa Benitez would have got all kinds of stick if he'd have dropped Anthony Gordon. Um, it would have been a very difficult decision for him to make. I mean, you understand the methods behind why Duncan Ferguson did that. Like uh, Gav said, he made some really bold calls there and um, I'm sure there weren't too many who would have predicted that team but in terms of Townsend you could say yeah because you might have thought he would um, naturally give more of a supply line of, of, of crosses but it didn't quite happen for him did it and like you say when Anthony Gordon did come on maybe with a point to prove after being left out from the start um, he, he became um, a, a real sort of potent um supply line not just with the, the crosses but the, the, the other set pieces as well and he you know if anything was going to happen forever and it wasn't looking particularly likely but if anything was going to happen it's probably going to come from a Anthony Gordon delivery and there was that one for Calvert-Lewin almost getting on the end of and yeah he he, um, he certainly responded in the best possible way to to being dropped it must have hurt him because you know like you say he's been one of Everton's brightest players in what has been a very Difficult and disappointing spell for the team as a whole, but young Anthony has sort of produced his best spell of football so far in his fledgling career. So yeah, he must have been hurting, and he would have been one of those who wanted to prove himself from the start. So be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, it's a, it's a break now, but next time out, whether Gordon's in the starting lineup. But and obviously, we don't even know who'll be picking the team that on that occasion. It may or may not be Duncan Ferguson. So yeah, he he'll he have been smarting from being dropped, but. Um, yeah, he impressed after coming on the bench and uh, you'll certainly think he, he's got a good chance of uh, getting back in there now. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, were there any other any other positives in terms of personal performances that you could that you've personally highlighted? I had a view of uh, Chris's new haircut for most of the first half. That was uh, <laughs> the highlight for me, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Uh, highlights. Um, it's good to see Mina back. Mm. Good to see Mina back as skipper. To be honest with you, uh, mm. I think that's an appointment that's long overdue. Yeah, uh, I think perhaps only his fitness has uh, stopped him skipping the team in the past. Uh, Pickford couple of saves. I mean, Calvert Lewin more mileage, but he looks well. Way off the pace for me, Calvert Lewin, which is a bit mm. worrying. Um, mm. You know, he has spent a lot of time out, to be fair. Yeah, hasn't yeah. I think it maybe goes under the radar how long yeah, he's been out yeah. for four months. It does look, does, does look still you know, a bit behind the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, not a lot really. Um, it was just a general lack of cohesiveness and joined up play, wasn't it? Which was maybe to be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gordon, I, the only thing again, just to 
carry on my glass half, glass half empty uh, yeah. feeling at the moment, which doesn't really change from week to week. Is uh, <laughs> we need to get him practicing corners, don't we? In the last minute, I think that's twice yeah. in home games right near the end. He stuck a corner out. He, he, he's, done a, he's, he's done that a few times this season, hasn't he? Like, Kale, twice Kale, Kale, yeah, yeah. yeah, one was right at the end, I think, against Brighton. Uh, so I think that summed up the day, didn't it? Really, <laughs> last kick of the game, we kicked the ball out, <laughs> yeah. So, a few, a few little bits, but at the uh, the end of the day, they were outweighed by the negatives, unfortunately. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Mm. I mean, bees. We've talked about the atmosphere before the game. I suppose we've got to focus on the atmosphere after the game as well. Another yeah. another sit-in protest from uh, probably a couple of hundred fans in the Gladys Street. There was a selected few in the park ends. I think there were a couple mm. in the main stand with us as well, but uh, not not many in the main stand around mm. the press box at the very least. But uh, yeah, sit-in protest with numerous banners against the board, multiple chants against the board. I mean, we kind of, well, we expected this to happen. We've seen, we've seen the, the advertisements, I suppose, about, about this or across social media over the last couple of weeks. Uh, these fan groups made it very clear that the sacking of Benitez wasn't going to change their opinion on the board. I mean, of mm. course, we've seen, we saw a banner flying, flying over the stadium uh, this weekend's game as well. I mean, what 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 do you, what do you make of that? I mean, for me, I think you know, compared to the the walkout protest that happened against Arsenal, I think this one got got a point across a lot uh, a lot louder, didn't it? Yeah, I mean the 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 previous one, the the Arsenal game was all always going to be uh, difficult for for them in that when you've got um, a capacity stadium holding almost forty thousand people, and even if you have a few hundred who walk out. That's mm. only going to be a tiny percentage, and in terms of what you can visually see, it's not yeah. going to look very sort of spectacular, isn't it? It's, it's you're going to struggle to sort of see the impact of it. But but when everyone's gone home, and mm. um, you've got a few hundred in there who are shouting and displaying the banners, well, that does have much more of an impact. And and I remember back in 2016, um, mm-hmm. just around, I think it was actually the week before Mr. Mashiri. First showed up at Goodison, um, potentially, I think. Uh, was it the, the Bournemouth game? It was beneath it turned out to be Benitez's last victory as Everton manager. They 2 1, and uh, it'd been pre planned before the game that they were going to stay behind. And there was a few diehards in the Gladys Street that day. And uh, I think this was this was bigger and more prolo- prolonged this time round. Certainly seemed to have more of an impact. And you know, sack, sack the board. I mean, it's been said what does that actually mean in, in, in practice? I mean, I can totally understand why they're frustrated and they're angry and upset and they have every right to be because the club does not look like it's being run efficiently and uh, to the sort of the, the levels that I'm sure even Mr. Mashiri would want given how hugely ambitious he is and how much of his own money he has already pumped into the club and into the new stadium, which is uh, thankfully the one big plus at the moment, and you can actually see taking shape. So, yeah, everyone must be here, and and uh, the the fans more than anyone because you know they're going to be they were the ones who were obviously they, they were there before Mr. Mashiri and any of these current players and manager, and they'll be there after they're gone. This is their club, and what they are seeing isn't isn't good enough. Um, I'm not too sure. What happens now? Um, 
already we've had uh, the open letter, haven't we, from the, the owner this week and uh, on the back of him obtaining more shares in the club. But yeah, if he, he, he's, he's made these what seem to be strange decisions and the way he goes about them. And um, it's, 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 it's frustrating because Everton have been through times where they've not had much money to spend and they, you know, they did their best to make a little go a long way. It was very tough for David Moyes for a long, of his, you know, long tenure to sort of compete with those big boys. The classic what was it um, knife in a gunfight. But once Everton have got themselves tooled up, as it were, and they've not known what to do with this this wealth. They've, they've squandered a lot of it, and not just on the players, like just in general decisions, baffling decisions, and the way they go about. Running the club and uh, and the the, the fans aren't happy and uh, we saw that spill out onto the street with uh, the conversation with Bill Kenwright afterwards. Mm. Yeah, the the Bill Kenwright thing. Well, I'll ask you about that in a sec, Gav. But you know, we saw Duncan Ferguson address these protests after the game. You know, he gave them a round of applause as he came back out to do his post match media. He said the fans have got a right to protest and you know they've got a right to be as disappointed as they are. As Bees has rightly said as well. I think that's. That's yeah, a very yeah. good point. We saw John Joe Kenny go over to the select few supporters that were that were still there, probably well over an hour after after the full time whistle had gone, and he had he had a little chat with the perhaps about fifty or sixty people were still were still there at that point. He had a little chat with them. wasn't what not quite clear what he said to them, but he got a round of applause for going over and addressing them. And as Bees rightly says, Bill Kenwright also was. We've seen that video going around social media of him being confronted yeah. by fans and, you know, trying to have a little bit of a discussion with them. But I think, you know, there ended up just being a little bit too much shouting all over everybody, where, which uh, kind of kind of forced him away again. I mean, in terms of in terms of Ken Wright, do you think that was that was the right decision for, from, from, uh, from his standpoint damn, to go damn, over and address it? Yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, aren't you? Well, that, that, that is, yeah. isn't it? Because, uh, both fans inside the stadium were desperate to see one of the board members come back out yeah. and maybe yeah. just have a look at them from the stands or address it in, in that sort of yeah. way. Obviously, these, the protests want to be addressed and they want to be listened to by the board. But yeah. at the same time, you know, we've got... It, it, it just felt like a weird atmosphere in that video for to me. Yeah, it, it smacked of the, uh, the brands thing, didn't it, after the, mm. the derby? Mm. Yeah. You know what? I get. I get all the frustration. Fans ourselves are at the end of the day, yeah. uh, and I fully understand that people want to stay behind at the ground and uh, protest. Um, that's totally acceptable um, as long as it's done in a pleasant way as possible. If you know what I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. get nasty and abusive, mm. uh, which it didn't, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not got a problem with that. I suspect at the moment that actually the, the, the sort of emphasis has gone more towards Machiri mm -hmm. since Benitez has been sacked as well. Uh, certain people in and around the club that perhaps have got too much undue influence. You know what I'm talking about there. Um, One man uh, who was in the director's box, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I. There's a change of emphasis. I think there is a conversation to be had, though. And I was talking about this the other week, whether given where we are at the moment, our fan protests, however justified they are, and I say I, you know, I fully understand them, are they healthy for the well-being of the club and the players? Mm. 
on match day. It's it. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, I think that that is the one thing that slightly, you know, perhaps uh, is a bit more worrying for me. Um, does it does it damage morale of an already, you know, struggling team? I suppose, but like I would suggest for this weekend's match in particular, I don't think it really has an effect on what happened on the pitch. I think, well, particularly with the, yeah, the yeah. majority of the protest, not the banner flying over, but you know, the majority of the protest happened after the final whistle. Anyway, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Point, like you said, the fans, yeah. the fans were behind the team during the game, weren't they? Absolutely, but just the general. Ongoing yeah, yeah. I know what you mean in general. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not saying you know it's wrong. I'm just saying. As that has got that, that aspect to as I say, fully um, you know, appreciate why people do it and I've got a prob- one problem with it. Um yeah, so but I don't think th- 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 there's a wide there's a conversation to be had at some point in the future about how well we should be doing um mm-hmm. with the money we've had. Um but that's for another day. Um but yeah, as I say, summed up the day really and because it was on national tally as well, Saturday lunchtime, mm-hmm. in daytime as well. Uh, and I said, Chris said it's easier to have a focal point. Uh, obviously, got more, uh, more, more emphasis. And um, yeah, it's the whole thing doesn't paint the club, does it? In a great light, does it? Really, in terms <laughs> of in terms of how it's perceived from outside. Well, the club's not not in a great light at the minute. I, no, I, no, I was, that's what I mean. Is the whole yeah. thing? You know, it's just, and I think that fractured. I mean, it's one. That's one of the differences compared to two years ago, isn't it? Really, the club is a bit more fractured now compared to two years ago mm-hmm. when we played Chelsea. Mm. And I think that yeah. reflects, you know. Uh, so yeah, I've not, like I say I can only re-emphasise what I've said a million times on the pod. Fully appreciate it. You know, like supporters do it, not against it. Mm. Um, or, uh, yeah, slightly worrying that aspect maybe does it affect back things. I'm not sure. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Chris, I think Gab's right in saying that a lot of the focus has been put onto Farhad Mashiri now, and mm-hmm. you know, fans, fans just want him to be essentially making better decisions in the future, make make a few changes to perhaps the structure of the club and the way it's run, and just stop stop making the same mistakes that have come in the past. So in that sense, it's maybe a tiny bit concerning to see a figure such as Keir Jirabshin in the uh, in the director's box with his with his track record in uh, in the Premier League in the past. You know, it's yeah. it's not it's not exactly the best sign, is it? No, it's um I know he's he's tried to distance himself from um the QPR debacle there where they had a lot of um Big name, expensive players who, who fell flat for them. But I think, as, uh, as even Phil McNulty mentioned over the weekend, you know there are comparisons with the situation, and I've been saying it for a, for a long time with Everton and QPR. I mean, fortunately, Everton start with a much higher base, but it's the same sort of principle in that you did have a hugely uh, ambitious owner. In uh, was it was it Tony Fernandez, wasn't it? Yeah. Who uh, was willing to put his uh, hand in his pocket and fund all these signings, but they just didn't gel as a coherent unit or sort of bring the club to where they wanted to be. 
And you've got to be concerned. Why is Mr. Mashiri making these decisions, signing certain players, certain managers, going about it a certain way? You know, is he getting bad advice? Because he doesn't seem to be getting good advice in that um, the people they brought in, and like we said, even compared to two years ago, seems to have gone backwards in in many ways. Yeah, the team was really struggling. Then we're actually we're in a bit earlier, a month or so earlier into the season, but it dropped into the bottom three. But is the squad necessarily any stronger now than it, than, than it was then? I mean, that's certainly questionable. Um, so I think there was uh, eight internationals again in the team at the weekend. But I, this group of players, they've just um, they've let numerous managers down, and you've got one. There's the mental frailties, as the is the things that aren't tangible that you can't actually see, which are holding them back. So to have somebody like that and you know, does he have ulterior motives of his clients? And, you know, also, we, you know, we're going to move on to it, but Vita Pereira's name uh, appearing now um, very much in the frame for the new manager's job. And, you know, under no, normal circumstances, I, I can't see how somebody like that would be considered for the Everton job. So, yeah, it's, it, it's concerning. And we we know that Mr. Mashiri, all he wants, he's shown that with his money, is to try and develop Everton as much as he can and uh, to, to get them... As, as competitive on and off the pitch as, as they can be, but it hasn't worked. And like I said, in many ways, he's, he's spent you know, a vast fortune moving the team backwards. And yes, the, the, I mean, the much coveted, long-awaited new stadium, thankfully, is finally you know emerging in front of our eyes by the Mersey waterfront. But the most important thing at any football club has got to be that first 11, those results on the pitch. And it's a mess. It's a real mess at the moment because they can't buy a win at the moment. And like we said, um, I think it was Jim Keogh, the the uh, Everton in the 90s author, tweeted at the weekend. Um, it was all this, um, it'll be okay. When Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back, we'll be okay. Um, you know, when, um, when they get the first 11 back, we'll be okay. When they get over this tough run of fixtures, they'll be okay. Um, when Rafa Benitez goes, it'll be okay. But it's still not okay. It's still losing football matches. And that's a, that's the big concern because when you get in a rut like this, you just got to get out of it. You've got to get a result. And that's what we all thought on the weekend before. Oh, big dunk, come in, shot in the arm, third three points, bit of breathing space, chance to sort of reassess and sort of consider who to bring in now. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it's worse than ever. Mm. Well, Gav, speaking in a general sense, I suppose, does... Does that result at the weekend? Well, obviously, we've got a two-week break essentially now from uh, from action for Everton until they face Brentford on the fifth of February in the FA Cup. Do you think this result at the weekend has kind of accelerated Everton's need to make a decision on a on a managerial front, whether they're going to even like appoint somebody until the end of the season, who they're going to appoint, etc.? Do you think that needs that can that decision kind of needs to be made this week? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that probably needs to be done anyway. Mm. Um, but this has only speeded up the uh, the process, didn't it? The 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 general performance on Saturday, the general climate around the game, you know. Um, and since then, uh, absolutely needs uh, a new manager. Or yeah, as you say, that the, the point is then is how long for you know <laughs> short term, long term, medium term. But I think. If you've seen that, you know, that I think the plan to set, I think it was don't going to be charged for a number of games, was it? I think was the, the phrase that was used. Yeah. Perhaps that needs mm-hmm. 
reviewing. That's always open ended anyway. Yeah. What it is. Um, thankfully, we've got an opportunity now where we've got we've got two and a half weeks to the next Premier League game, isn't it? Something like that. Um, so there is quite a big window there in 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 relative terms. So it'll be. Um, yeah, I think it will be accelerated. The only th- problem with that, though, Ad, isn't it? Is do you always get the right the right person in that environment? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think the problem you've got with the manager now is the the job of the manager between now and the end of the season is a different to the job of the manager the next mm-hmm. two three years. And, and you're looking <laughs> well, realistically, you know what what I mean? it, yeah, it, it, this is. I don't want to bring his name into it, but this is Sam Allardyce territory, isn't it? Mm. I was saying the exact same to Phil yeah. <laughs> the other day. Yeah, I'm not saying that we should give Sam a ring. No, no, no of course. Um, yeah. But this is this is in some respects a more uh, serious version of where we were in 1718. Yeah, because uh, a little bit later in the season, I think, and we yes. are <laughs> the decline a little. We're in a worse run of form. We're, we're <laughs> of form. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think um, we all know what happened in 17-18 and why that appointment was made. And I, I was quite happy with that to the end of the season. Um, are we in the same position now where we get somebody who can just come in and do a job for four months? Is that an option? Because yeah. um, I think it's the two, two, diff- complete, two completely different skill sets, I think, as a manager. That's needed. Yeah, you know, you've got to have two two completely different skill sets over the if they get get it for the next three years mm. or two and a half seasons or whatever, you know, and that that's the concern I've got um, mm. with who we appoint really after Saturday. Yeah, mm. well, I mean, bees, you've brought us as we're recording on Monday. You brought us an update this morning on uh, Everton's managerial search as it stands. Didn't you? Mm. I mean, you mentioned his name a little bit earlier, but Vito Pereira. Is is on Everton's list alongside Wayne Rooney and Frank Lampard. They're certainly different options, aren't yeah. they? Like to to each other. Yeah, um, yeah. We believe that um, at the moment, yeah, three, three candidates have have been um, discussed, and uh, hasn't been a consensus within the club's um, corridors of power as to who they're going to uh, choose as of yet. But yeah, we understand that Vitor Pereira is one of those names um, being considered and he's somebody whose name keeps cropping up. As I said, Everton lamentably keep having these managerial vacancies um, every few years and he, he seems to be there uh, thereabouts uh, a, a lot of the time. So it makes you wonder, given that he is. Unlike Everton's other overseas managers, he has no background whatsoever in English football. Mm. Why? Why is Vito Pereira being seen as uh, you know this potential savior for Everton? Again, it's these voices, isn't it? And and Farhad Mashiri's here. These people who are advising him. Obviously, somebody is pushing Vito Pereira's corner. Because if you look at his CV, I mean, there was an article in one of the national newspapers today, very positive about him. They called him. They described him as a serial winner. And I looked into this, and um, to be fair, he won a few trophies in Portugal, and he won the, I think, the, the double in Greece with Olympiacos, and that's the sort of things that, that's similar sort of background to Marco Silva, mm-hmm. to um, leagues where 
there's two or three teams who typically dominate all the time. And if you're not one of those teams, well, you've got a pretty decent, you know, it's like Celtic Car Rangers, you're going to win something, aren't you? If you've got anyone worth the salt. So rather than serial winner, you know, he's done well with big clubs in relatively small um, pools there. And like uh, Rafa, he said, a spell on the Chinese gravy train there. He's done a bit of that with uh, Shanghai. Did a bit better, actually, fair, than Rafa did in the Far East. But, yeah, stint in Saudi Arabia as well. But most concerning for me is only sort of experience in one of Europe's big five leagues. And it wasn't even the top division. It was just, He was in the second division of the Bundesliga. 1860 Munich. So the teams, so people who don't know German football so much, they senior club in the city, an early winner of the Bundesliga, eclipsed by their local rivals who went on to win things in the European stage and dominate domestically. And he went into 1860 Munich in January and took them down. So that's scarily similar to me to the current predicament um, at Everton. So yeah, I'm not sure who's pushing Vita Pereira, and it concerns me, but he is, as we understand, to be one of those names on the, sh- the short list, which we say has been three names we've been dis- have been discussed so far. But nobody is totally convinced so far, but the understanding is that given what happened on Saturday, and like we said, that poor result, that poor performance, Mr Mashiri is, we understand, keen to make a- an appointment sooner rather than later now. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, out of those three names, is there is there anybody that jumps out to you, or you know, even even perhaps a, I would suggest as a wild card option, given it to Ferguson until the end of the season. But it, that that one that one does seem quite unlikely as it stands, doesn't it? Um, yeah, just to uh, complete Chris's comparisons, like. Uh, <laughs> Like Everett Munich, eighteen sixty, played in one European Cup Winners' Cup final. So, um, <laughs> you know. did they uh, win? Yeah, I played West Ham in nineteen sixty. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going on about silver. You know, yeah. at least silver is managed in England. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Twice, two, two spells. I'll be at three. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, silver had done a year in England, hadn't he? With yeah. two different clubs. So, uh, uh, Pereira. The question to say about Pereira, he was interviewed in 2013 for the job, wasn't he? When he just won, won, won the title with Portugal. I'm thinking, well, if you're lying on that now, why didn't you give him the job in 2013? Mm. You know, considering how the game's changed. You, and stuff. you could say something similar, I suppose, about you know links to Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was... Available in the summer. If it, what what's impressing now about Frank Lampard that didn't impress enough in the summer? If 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 you yeah. if you get me training for yeah, you know, I, I, well, it's a, it's a perfectly valid question, isn't it? Because, yeah. um, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you, you that, that's it's the not, thing, it, isn't it? It, it, that's well, that's it. Like, it? it goes back to the point that you were making before, I suppose. Like, it, it's not as if to me there's anything about Frank Lampard's managerial tactics or whatever that would make him a necessarily good firefighter I think certainly probably it was his defensive organisation that yeah. probably did did for him at Chelsea in the end yeah no I I, I, I appreciate yeah if you think it applies to a lot of the managers who were yeah. accepted with the job but why now is it some sort of like you know you've got five or six managers names in the hat and you pull one out and when they don't work you then go back in the hat and pull another one out <laughs> you know 
Um, that's increasingly like it's looking, isn't it, really? Yeah. And that's not not great. Uh, so Pereira, yeah, I'd share, I think there's a lot of concerns about it. And also, hey, you selecting them and, you know, why he's being looked at and hey, his recent track record. Um, sounds horribly familiar, doesn't it, really? Um, other names, I say, say, but I said about Wayne, I wouldn't, wouldn't dismiss on Friday on the basis that, well, actually, we don't know what he's like, so we may as well give him a go, could work out fantastically. Um, yeah. um, and um, on that basis, no, no, the logic apart from he's done obviously done a good job at Derby and the um, laying a lot there. But apart from that, it goes back to the conversation seven days ago. That doesn't it really, you know, yeah. it, it was, it, you know, if there was an outstanding candidate now, they would have been selected maybe two management appointments ago, wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. Even, yeah. and and that that is that is the problem. Canavaro doesn't really float me both. He's in the he's in like the totally inexperienced uh, pot, isn't he? Um, mm. And, and apart from that, really, I can't can't think of many. Being Seston, being Seston, thinking at the weekend that actually, if he'd have been free, Chris Wilder might have done a good job for you for six months, might he? Well, if he'd have been free, um, mm. you know, um, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a few questionable, you know candidates there obviously decent decent managers but are what we need at the moment you know mm. and perhaps you might, might might be reading this song it might do, do you think if there's no real ideal or or do you think they might just say to ferguson you know you you've got a free hit for you against fella because you only had six days now got yeah. a break to break with the players i know it's a bit of international stuff going on but um mm. We'll give you another couple, see how it gets on. Mm. That's you well, it's, inter- it's interesting, isn't it? Like you, you wonder like how much how much stock does that result them then play in that sort of scenario? Chris has got an I don't know whether Chris knows what would you say, Chris? Yeah. Well, no, he's um, Duncan yeah. had said himself, hadn't he? Was it after the game? Um he imagined he did what was he saying? Another two or three games possibly for Yeah, him he said something, something along those lines, yeah. But um, interestingly, he, did, he said he didn't think he'd have much say in the transfers, like towards the end of the window, which I think is a bit a bit baffling. Yeah, almost like they've oh, well, we've done our business now. Yeah, you know, we managed yeah. to get free and early, so that's your lot now. Um, don't know. Um, um, it's it's the, the baffling thing is there doesn't seem to be any sort of coherent strategy, and that's one of the reasons everyone's so upset, everyone's so frustrated because. You know, you've got the same sort of managerial searches with wildly different candidates and styles. And there was the same, so before they got Allardyce, they, they were after Simeone, weren't they? It's like anyone and everyone, you know, well, we'll see We'll see if we can get someone on this level, but then we'll, we'll get go get somebody else and just whatever crops up. It's interesting because whenever Mashiri's made a mid-season change, it's only when he sort of fell on his feet with Ancelotti suddenly becoming available. At the same time, and you had what was given on the fellas glittering past CV, you know, a universally endorsed appointment. Um, it's almost like he's made these decisions and 
and, and personally, I think, you know, given the results, I think it had to be the end of the road for Benitez, but without having anyone lined up. And yeah. it's 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 concerning, isn't it? Like you say, then Frank Lampard, what makes him more attractive now than in the summer? Yeah. I really don't know about Frank Lampard because I really couldn't tell you if he was a good or bad manager because he sort of took Derby to exactly where you'd expect Derby to be at that particular point. I think that they finished sixth the year before and they came sixth from the hem. And sort of did all right. Top four, wasn't it? Fourth on the Chelsea in his one full mm-hmm. season. So you couldn't really say that was spectacularly good or bad for Chelsea with their resources. So he's kind of been like bang average in both of those. So you couldn't really say um, what you do at, at Evan. But at least, and I and, and what I accept is that they're all a risk. They're all going to be um, come with some sort of caveat. And Rooney's is obviously his his young age and his lack of experience, but at least he's been in a relegation fight with Derby last season, got them out, didn't he, on the last day of the season, and then has taken them this season. I know they're in the, the relegation zone, and obviously they lost at the same time as Everton were playing at the weekend. They lost their game against a bit of rivals, Forest, But, yeah. you know, they have produced mid-table form on the pitch in ridiculously uh, difficult circumstances this season. So that you know, for those reasons, and that that's why I've said from the start that you know I, I understand it's not without a risk, and all these candidates like that. That's why I've always said Wayne Rooney for me. Mm. Gav, you look like you wanted to say a little bit more about Lampard. No, no, I was, I was, I was just going to say I think Lampard had the they had the transfer ban first year at Chelsea. Didn't yes, you? yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah what, so that's what that's what prompted to bring through the young the, players, wasn't the, it? Yeah, the thing I'd say about Rooney is. And I think we said on Friday, if you have Rooney, you have to have like a team around him. It's interesting, Kyle's at the game, wasn't he, on there? Yes. On mm-hmm. Saturday. And we said, you know, he'd have to like have a a plan. That's the big word now. Plan, strategy, you know, whatever behind him. So you couldn't just get him to bring in, bring him in. I was, I was just thinking, people, oh, Everton are only interested in Wayne Rooney because he, he played for the club and stuff. You wouldn't be looking at him otherwise. And I'm just thinking if Frank Lampard had done the job that Wayne had done at Derby, whether he'd be looking at Lampard then, he would, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's anything to do with Wayne being a former player. I think from what you read about Derby, lots of connections with young players, think, but they had nine players at the start of the season, something mm-hmm. like that. Connected really well to players, worked really hard. As a manager, he's been sleeping at the club, hasn't he, and stuff. Um, and I don't think the interest is, is, is I think it, it sort of undermines him a little bit by saying, oh, yeah, he's only getting looked after for Everton because he's a former Everton player. I think he's looked at as he's, a, he's obviously shown potential as a good manager for the future. Um, and um, yeah, so I think, think he should definitely be in the frame. Just. <laughs> Thinking if if Silver had never managed Everton, he'd probably no. be looking at Silver yeah. as well. Scoring yeah. Fulham, yeah. To be fair, yeah. if you had the choice between mm-hmm. bringing Silver or Martinez back, I'd bring Silver back all day long. To be honest with you, um, mm. but uh, no, I think I think Wayne still for me, but with a properly organised and coherent setup that maybe yeah. is not there at the moment. I'm, I'm thinking back. I was going to say, sorry, we saw that with Steven Gerrard, didn't we? How, how big was his crew on Saturday? His backroom mm-hmm. staff when they were marching across there. It was like another team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I, I, oh, by the way, I've, I've got a beef, by the way. Not a beef, but... Oh. Are we, oh, no, are we given an advantage? I don't know that the COVID stuff working by the fact that they have to go pack their away fans. Yeah. 
three or yeah. four times a game. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Just, just they come out by the way fans. They go in at half time by the way fans, and they come out by the way fans. You know, and have yeah. all cheering and you know fist pumping and all this. <laughs> you know, more margins. Maybe that's why we lost on on Saturday. It, it's become that a. Uh, you know, it's got it got to that level. And you know, going back to Ferguson, I'm just thinking of the, the old ad when the old adages in football that uh, all managers can coach, but not all co- coaches can manage. I'm just wondering if that might apply to Duncan. Mm. Yeah. Well, lads, I think we've made a lot of interesting points today. It's been it's been a cathartic process for me. Yeah. I've been, I've, been, <laughs> I've enjoyed these last 50 minutes or so. But, uh, yeah, I think that's probably all we've got time for. We'll be back a little bit later on in the week. I'm sure there'll be more twists and turns in the Everton managerial search. So I'm sure we'll have enough to discuss towards the end of the week. And we'll be coming to the end of the transfer window as well. So it would be interesting to see if Everton make any sort of progress on any late deals before deadline day comes around next week. But until then, thanks for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.